Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people, my friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I defy you to find many stocks that deserve to be down as much as the averages are, especially after today, where the Dow plunged three, 642 points. It plummeted 2.14%. NASDAQ nosedive 2.55%. There are hardly any reasons that individual stocks should be down as much as those average. In reality, most companies you see are doing much better than the market. But we're in what I call a hostage situation here. We're hostage to a mindset, the notion that the Federal Reserve's on track to obliterate this economy in order to tame inflation. And there's nothing that can stop them. We're so paralyzed by this mindset that good news means nothing, including any of the amazing earnings reports we keep getting, like the ones we got last week. It is going to see how well corporate America is doing versus the weakness that's reflected in the market, including the two companies we're going to talk about tonight. Long term, I think corporate earnings are what will matter for stocks. But right now, what are we doing? Oh, we're just waiting for the Fed's Jackson Hole conference later this week, which is all that Wall Street cares about. That's what crushed everything today, despite how terrific the quarterly numbers continue to be. Well, that and the hangover from last week's meme stock mania. More on that later. Uh, Why don't we do this? Let's go back in time. Kind of like the old Rocky and Bullwinkle show to date myself. Let's look at the actual numbers we got. So on Friday, we heard from John Deere, okay? And it was amazing. I couldn't believe how strong that quarter was. Not only were Deere's orders voluminous and invisibility extraordinary, but they also saw an end to the supply problems, which have bedeviled them and left unfinished tractors stored while they waited for new parts to come in. Do you know how expensive that is? The company spent mightily on research and development to make their machines more efficient, 
Also, farmers don't need as many people to grow their crops. That's very important right now, given that we've got a serious labor shortage really around the globe. Deere's results were met with a host of price target increases, one after another after another, including one two this weekend, because the quarter was that fantastic. But no, no, don't look at that. Don't look at that. It doesn't fit the thesis of a market in decline. Last Thursday, we got applied materials. That's what we call it AMAT. It told a story of robust semiconductor market, terrific long-term visibility. Yeah, well into 23. The results were spectacular, amazingly positive for the semiconductors. You know, the semiconductors, that's what was crushed today. We also spoke to Chuck Robbins, the CEO of Cisco, a huge tell for tech, and I haven't seen him this pumped in ages, and I know him from seven years ago when he took the job over. Cisco's a huge tech company, touches every aspect, semis, machine learning, security, and, of course, networking, the bread and butter. It meant nothing, nothing that they reported at Great Quarter. Lowe's and Target reported Wednesday. Both put up excellent numbers. I mean, really excellent numbers. We were all concerned that the do-it-yourselfers wouldn't be spending at Lowe's. That was the whisper. Wasn't the case. Spent like bad. Target cleaned up its excess inventory not that long ago. And what was left sold well. By the way, they're now going up against Bed Bath & Beyond with many of their stores. Not much of a fight given that Bed Bath struggling to even pay its suppliers. They are dumping their in-house labels and trying to get big-time brands back at Bed Bath. They are competing with Target for that same merchandise. Good luck. I love the quarters that we got from Walmart and Home Depot on Tuesday. They were both incredible. Raised numbers, price targets both. Consumers welcome Walmart's everyday low-price model. The stock soared. Home Depot just crushed it with professional investors. Now they're giving it all back. Now, see, I mention all this because in light of last week's earnings, I found today's action positively surreal. It's like there was some sort of gravitational pull that made no sense when it came to earnings, but succeeded in turning our market into a charnel house. Even if you think the Fed's going to hint, going to hint that another 75 basis point rate hike is on the way when Jay Powell speaks on Friday, this sell-off still wouldn't make much sense. It's just not in keeping with how the underlying companies are really doing. But Friday is as good as any place to start this week's game plan because it seems to be determining everything or we wouldn't have been down today. Yeah, I'm not starting here. I'm starting here. After all, there was nothing new today other than big layoffs at Ford, and that was because they have to have white-collar people devoted much more toward uh, electric vehicles than the so-called ICE vehicles. That was a decision by Jim Farley to save a lot of money. Uh, We also had another decline in crude. That's good, right? That race, uh, most of it was a race by the end of the day. But still, these are positives because they mean the Fed's winning its war against inflation. But no, no one cares until they hear it from this man's mouth. Problem is, Wall Street's starting to have less confidence in the idea that the Fed will soon pivot to a more dovish posture. I think Jay Powell can afford to be a little less ruthless with the rate hikes here, but the market clearly disagrees. We'll find out who's right on Friday. We need to slog through the whole week, though, to get to the Fed's guillotine. But even if the guillotine blade falls, we can ride through the turbulence and do some buying on the way down after this incredibly difficult two-day sell-off. Why? Because I expect this week's game plan will go pretty much like last week's highlights I just went over. Now, it doesn't mean the stocks are going to bottom. We know that from what I said. It means we've got to remember what companies did well so we can buy their stocks at the bottom. For example, tomorrow we hear from Macy's, Dick's Sporting Goods, Toll Brothers, 
all good companies. I bet Macy's has a decent story to tell about the right clothes at the right time, continues with good capital allocation. Dix is selling all the best sporting goods at good prices, and Toll Brothers is only making homes that it can reap huge profits on. All three should have gotten much better on that supply chain front, too, versus when they spoke last. I like this group. Oh, at the same time, I think Intuit will deliver a terrific quarter with good growth in tax returns and also all the things they do for small business. Wednesday is a little more problematic. Two of our charitable trust names report, NVIDIA and Salesforce. Now, NVIDIA, it's a very high-end semiconductor company. They pre-announced a miss not that long ago versus an already lowered forecast. The same thing could happen again. Rough time for these kinds of chips. I think Salesforce will complain about the strong dollar again. But don't forget that it does a ton of business at Dreamforce, and that conference is back in person this September at the same time as the NFL starts. So I will miss the first home game for the first time in 40 years. There are lots of uh, it's Eagles. There are lots of other software companies reporting that people are worried about, like Snowflake, Splunk, and Box. I think they're doing fine. But it just might not matter because of this general malaise. It's a malaise. It just came to me. It's a malaise. Spelled with A-I-S-E, like French. Thursday, we hear from the beloved dollar stores. I got a, I got a bot mitzvah. I got two bot mitzvah cards for a dollar there. Before I went to my friend Adam Schefter's daughter's bot mitzvah. I always remember that. Two cards for a dollar? I only need one. That's some business. Dollar Tree and Dollar General are good. They should please the market to no end because investors have decided that we're headed into a recession. And the hedge fund playbook says you have to own one or both of these two stocks of these two companies, even if you've never shopped there. I do. I have a great one in Hampton Bays. I don't like mindlessly following the playbook, but it's not wrong here. My preferred one, by the way, is Dollar General, if they have the merchandise. I'm also intrigued by Ulta Beauty. Both Estee Lauder and Target, which is embedded Ulta's, raved about how well the chain's doing. I think now we're in a mask-off world, which is great for uh, skin care, you know? Ulta will shine. Oh, and congratulations to Mary Dillon, formerly of Ulta, who landed the CEO job at Foot Locker. That one could be a tough mission, but I know she's up for it. Thursday, okay, a little troublesome. Gap could have still one more difficult quarter. I, it gaps a little bit like, oh, I don't want to see. You know what I mean? I'm not sure how good a firm will be given how the market has turned against buy now, pay later. I do think CEO Max Levchin will try to spin a good yarn, but it's awfully hard tape to pull that off in. Then there's Dell. I bet it's going to report a solid number that will actually help tech, something we very well need by the time we get to that day. Workday reports Thursday night. Many analysts are saying that the sales cycles there have become too elongated. That's analyst code word for they're having trouble closing deals. I'm not betting that way, though. I think Workday had a good quarter, and because maybe because it's like the leave of Jackson Hole, it may be as irrelevant as today's sell-off. But if we go down every day as we go into Jackson Hole, this is the kind of period that Larry Williams has said does is the cyclical low. If we go down every day till then, believe me, on this day we're doing some buying. Now, when are we going to do the buying? Well, Friday rolls around. We get 10 a.m. At 10 a.m., this man speaks. And then we find out why we sold Microsoft and NVIDIA. We find out why we sold Salesforce and Apple and Netflix when Jay Powell speaks. He's all that seems to matter. Okay, the bottom line? Until Jackson Hole, we have to play a guessing game about why these stocks are going down. And for the moment, the answer is basically no reason at all. Jerry in Florida, Jerry! 
Hey, going to give you a big booyah shout out from South Beach, Miami. How are you today, Jim? Well, uh, South Beach, Miami tends to be a nicer area than where I am at any given time. I'm glad you're calling. What's up? Yeah, yeah. Been down here since 1975. Yeah, I wanted to just tell you I'm basking in the, uh, the joy of Palo Alto. They had just a fantastic quarter. I'm sure you know that already. Oh, and, uh, better than fantastic. Better than fantastic. I mean, you know, Nikesh Aurora is, you know, I call him the delivery man. That's one of your What's favorite stock? stocks, and I wanted to get your uh, your take on one of your other favorite stocks. You actually named your dog after it, NVIDIA, and I'm thinking about maybe picking up uh, some okay. shares. NVIDIA, before. that dog did pass away, so let's be a little circumspect. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, NVIDIA, had, NVIDIA, that's right, NVIDIA pre-announced a not good quarter. Their previous time they did that, the next quarter was similarly uh, on the conference call. They said negative things. If you want to buy NVIDIA, please wait till after the conference call. Do we have time for one more question? Oh, that is it. Holy cow. I thought I did my absolute best. And it's actually been 30 years. It's not 40 years for the Eagles, but it sure feels like it. All right, anyway, try to find companies that deserve to be down as much as the average. Are. I dare you. You won't be able to find many at all. Right now, we are hostage to this market's mindset. And all it cares about is a particularly beautiful area that somebody once told me to buy land in, and I did. It's called Jackson Hole. On Mad Money tonight, CNH has its sights set on sustainability. So how is the agricultural machinery company positioning itself for the future? I'm finding out from the CEO, an old hand. Then meme stocks are back in the headlines. So what should you do when you see that? And you're in the crosshairs of Wall Street's bets. Even though they love me, sometimes I do get wistful. Uh, I'll give you my take. And Palo Alto Networks reported as the, uh, after the bell, and I'm digging in the numbers, and it looks real good. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After two days of intense selling, I think it's time to start thinking about what to buy. Because even though the market got overheated, things are still looking a lot better than they were, say, two months ago. But you got to be careful here. You don't want anything too speculative. That's why I like some of the beaten down industrials, which got crushed earlier this year, thanks to sky high costs and recession worries. But they're working through them. At this point, commodity prices have indeed gone down. But these stocks have yet to adjust. Plus, they're trading like a moderate to severe recession is inevitable when we could easily have a mild one. Take CNH Industrial, that's a UK-based machinery company that recently spun off its vehicle business to become more of a pure play on agriculture and construction equipment. Unfortunately, this is the kind of cyclical stock that sells off when we're worried about a central bank-mandated recession, which is why it's down 28% for the year. But late last month, CNH reported an excellent quarter, even raised its full-year sales forecast. While the stock jumped 6% in response, it's now repealed nearly the whole move. In other words, I think you're getting that terrific quarter or another bite at the apple right here. So let's check in with Scott Wine, old friend of the show, CEO of CNH Industrial, to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Wine, welcome back to Mad Buddy. Jim, great to be on with you. All right, well, Scott, you're a straight shooter. Let me tell you how I view the world. Maybe you can help me. You are pretty much everywhere. You only look, you're about 20% U.S., you're all over the world. Isn't it true that demand is great for your products pretty much everywhere? You know, Jim, the ag cycle that we're currently experiencing is really strong. And, you know, you mentioned our construction business. The uh, the infrastructure bill here in the United States really helped that that segment. And we're seeing really demand from our dealers. I spent a lot of time talking to our dealers and our end user customers. And uh, demand continues to be really strong. I, I know it won't last forever, but, you know, we're, we're still seeing very strong demand on a global basis right now. You know, Europe's been a little bit weak. Obviously, the, the Ukraine situation and the, the energy situation calls from um, the gas, the lack of gas coming from, from Russia has been a bit of a, a challenge there. But, you know, even even there, we can sell almost everything we can build. So pricing has stayed ahead of cost. And, uh, you know, we still we like where the, the business is headed right now. Now, I, just to clarify Europe for people, uh, you divide Europe into two areas. One area is down 40 percent, but that's not the area that really should be focused on. It's the Western European portion that is incredibly strong, correct? Western Europe continues to be strong. You know, they've got a little bit of a drought issue in certain regions right now. But, you know, overall, what we're seeing is uh, is really reasonable demand, even in Ukraine. We've had a better business in Ukraine than I would have ever expected this year, um, continuing to try to support those farmers uh, where we can. But really, uh, Western Europe uh, does continue to be a, a reasonably strong, not as strong as the, the North American or South American markets, but 
it's been reasonably strong for us. Well, let's go there, Ukraine. First of all, a lot of people felt when the war started, Ukraine was shut down. That's clearly not the case. But second, can they pay you for this equipment? This equipment is not inexpensive. No, it's not inexpensive, but, you know, they've gotten a lot of aid that's helped support the payment for it. But, uh, you know, the farmers are still strong. I was surprised to see, you know, 91% of uh, the the grain in in Ukraine was planted this year compared to to a year ago. So it's been a reasonably strong market. And fortunately, uh, a lot of people came together to help figure out how to get the product out of the country. It's it's certainly far, far from ideal. And, you know, our, our Hearts go out to the, the people of Ukraine and, the, and the, the work that they're doing to save their country. But, you know, certainly the, the farmers who continue to feed uh, the country are, are doing much better than I think we originally would have expected. Oh, that's terrific. I'm, I, I'm glad you said a lot of Americans don't know that. They only read the horrible things that are happening. And it's good to know that there's some bit of narrative that's fine. Now, one of the things I really liked in your call was I'm to quote you, you say supply chain challenges persist, but there are early signs of of moderation of, of the supply chain headwinds. So you're starting to get the how many empty tractors do you, how many tractors do you have sitting in the factory because they still need some parts? You know, we've probably got a couple of thousand around the world, but that's down that's down a couple of thousand. So we've cut it in half um, you know throughout the third quarter and we'll continue to work through that. But uh, you know the team's done a nice job of managing through it. I've described the supply chain situation as whack-a-mole historically and you know, what we're seeing is it's not as much of that where we've got supply issues, but it tends to be the same ones and we're working through it with them. Um, and I just really want to give a shout out to our supply chain personnel who've done a, a, a truly miraculous job to be able to serve our farmers and our uh, construction customers. All right. One last thing. Uh, I think the last time we spoke to you was around the time that you did the Raven deal. How is that working? Because technology is so clearly uh, what's distinguishing one tractor from another. You know, it really is, Jim, and I'm, I'm thrilled with the Raven acquisition. It was a, uh, you know, a, a big, big move for us, but we felt it was necessary, and I, I couldn't be more proud of what that team has done. They, they folded right in, uh, working hand-in-hand with us. I, I was just talking to the Eric Schumann, who runs that business for us, and, and they're really doing a nice job. We're hiring as fast as we can, um, and really, it's this long-term, this industry is agriculture is around productivity and yield, being able to give those farmers the tools that they need to be more productive and provide better yield. And, you know, Raven is really the, the key aspect of, of our R&D. R&D for us is up 34% year to date. A lot of that is going into our precision technology. We've got a farm progress show in Iowa next week, and we'll demonstrate, you know, some of the work that we're doing with Raven um, and how that's going to benefit farmers. And, and we're really, really excited about what that deal has done for us. Well, well, I'm excited about everything you've done to CNH. I remember when you left there, left Polaris to go there. And I was concerned because at times the place was what I would call undermanaged. But I think you've got that completely under control, Scott. That's why I'm so glad to see you. Scott Wine, CEO of CNH Industrial, simple C-N-H-I. Thank you, Scott. Always good to see you. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, might be back after the break. Coming up, from Bed Bath & Betrayal to an AMC Sayonara, is there a meme stock investors can trust? Kramer makes sense of an unrequited Wall Street love affair. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Last week, I warned you repeatedly that whenever we get a huge short squeeze in the meme stocks, there's almost always bad for the rest of the market. So maybe today's beatdown should come as no surprise because we just had yet another meme stock explosion. A few weeks ago, Bed Bath & Beyond caught fire for really on, on no real news, except that the self-proclaimed apes wanted to engineer a short squeeze in the submerged retailer. On August 5th, Bed Bath jumped nearly 33%. Then on the next trading day, it soared nearly 40% a much higher than usual trading volume. Almost the whole company kept turning over. Now, by the close on the 8th, the stock was at 11 and change, up more than 126% month to date. The very next day, I told you to get the heck out of Dodge because when you see a short squeeze in a money-losing retailer, that's a chance to ring the register. In fact, I begged the meme to take profits. Even told them the company, I told the company, I was pleading with the company, Please sell stock because your balance sheet's bad and you got to clean it up. Of course, whenever you advise selling one of these meme stocks, you kind of get tons of pushback because the apes, they never want to hear it. But I've been persona non grata with with these people since I called in from the hospital to recommend selling GameStop at $340 in January of last year. My Twitter mentions column used to be filled with comments from nice people with real names asking legitimate questions or praising my tomatoes. After, but then after I made that cell call, I went from being shrouded with love to swimming in the love canal. Then there's another group who sees me commenting on a situation like Bed Bath and says, Tim, why do you even care? Can't you just let it alone? Stop it already. Well, I'll tell you why I care. Late last week, the bed bath short squeeze imploded dramatically when the memesters lord and savior Ryan Cohen, who's now the chairman of GameStop, well, probably goes and buy some stock to make everybody feel better. He came out and dumped his whole position. I'm not kidding. He sold his whole. I, I am still staggered that he just sell, 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 sell. everything. Every share of bed bath. He sold to retail investors at the very top. Nice trade partner, mostly north of $20, then he had cool $68 million in the process. We also learned that Bed Bath hired Kirkland and Ellis, a high-end law firm, to help with its, uh, its unsustainable debt load, which makes people worry about the possibility of bankruptcy. 
As a result, the stock lost more than half of its value on Thursday and Friday before tumbling another 16.2% today. Also on Friday night, we started hearing that some of Bed Bath suppliers had hauled shipments to the retailer due to unpaid bills. No wonder they brought in a restructuring expert. Like I told you all along, this company is in terrible shape to the point where you just can't ignore the fundamentals no matter what you're seeing online. No amount of short squeeze chicanery can save you when the underlying business is running out of money. Why even bother with something like Bed Bath beyond trying to protect people from the inevitable meltdown? Simple. This crazy meme stock action is, like I said, bears for the stock market. I think it's a big contributor to the abomination we had just today, at least for the walls. Now, we've been on a fabulous two-month winning streak here, but whenever you see these marginal stocks soaring higher thanks to engineered short squeezes like this, you know what that is? That's almost always a sign of a top. This is something I warned you about repeatedly last week. And sure enough, the averages got slammed on Friday and then took a huge beatdown today. So tonight, I want to show my work. Because I know the connection might seem a little tenuous to you. Why would meme stock rallies signal that stocks are peaking? Because it's a textbook sign of fraud. It shows you that the bulls are getting complacent. And speculation is running rampant. So, let's just break down the numbers. Let me show you what I knew and tried to get you to realize. And my compadres in Squawk on the Street knew that I got negative. Here we go. Uh, Just looking at GameStop, the original meme stock, we've seen seven huge spikes in these things since January of last year. Seven! We saw the Nasdaq pullback after six of these seven meme stock rallies, and those six post-meme pullbacks averaged a 12% decline. The first meme stock explosion came in January of 2021 when the Wall Street bets crowd realized they could bust the overconfident short sellers in GameStop and send the stock soaring. The Nasdaq then peaked in a few weeks later in mid-February, sinking 12.5% by early March. S&P pulled back 6% over the same period. Nasdaq has more speculation than the S&P. By the way, this also marked the top for all sorts of SPAC stocks and IPOs, many of which I have told you to sell, sell, sell. Next, there was another quick short squeeze in GameStop from March 5th to March 15th before the stock got clobbered again through the rest of the month. The Nasdaq dropped 6% from March 16th through March 25th. So these things are just a nightmare, okay? Now, fast forward to June of last year, we got another huge short squeeze in GameStop, and this one is the, t- is the time where the rest of the market did just fine. We're looking at seven meme stock moments here. Only six of them coincided with the averages peaking. But I think that that's a pretty good record if you want to know what, what, what to sell. In late August, roughly a year ago, GameStop soared again for no discernible reason except the apes wanted to push it higher. Less than a week after the stock peaked, the Nasdaq peaked too. And it ended up sinking 8% from early September through early October. You want to avoid these. These are terrible pullbacks, Okay. More recently, last November, right before the bear market got rolling and all things speculative went out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, you know what happened? Well, from late October through mid-November, GameStop soared again, also with no real catalyst. This coincided almost exactly with the peak in the rest of the market. And sure enough, over the next month, the Nasdaq lost 8% of its value. If you want to be less charitable, this GameStop run 
was like the last gasp before the death of the bull market. How about 2022? Let's go there. The second half of March, after the Fed's first rate hike, we got a short-lived rally for stocks, especially growth stocks. This move also breathed new life into the meme stocks. GameStop surged 157% from March 14th to its highs on March 29th. This time there was at least a story, with the company announced an NFT marketplace and Lord and Savior Ryan Cohen buying 100,000 shares in the open market. But really, it was more meme stock squeeze chicanery again. Sure enough, the GameStop spike signaled another top. And from late March through the lows on May 20th, the Nasdaq lost nearly 25% of its value, with the S&P sinking almost 18%. Last one. In late May, GameStop rallied 44% over the course of two days, jumping from 22 to 32 before peaking at 38 on June 8th, right before the company reported earnings. Well, guess what? This was another bad sign. NASDAQ peaked on June 2nd and plunged 14% over the next two weeks for bottoming on June 16th. SMU was down 13% over the same period. So look at this. January 21, down 12.5. March 21, only, only down 6. Okay. Uh, June 20, no meaningful pullback. But then look at these 7.9, 8.3, 24.2, 14. You see a pattern? That's why I get nervous every time I see one of these meme stocks roaring like Bed Bath & Beyond over this month. It's a clue. Now, why are such moves? Why are these moves such ominous signs? I think there are two main reasons why things play out this way. First, when home gamers participate in these short squeezes, they inevitably get burned when the whole thing unravels, and that's exactly like we saw in Bed Bath and Beyond last week. And many of them give up on the whole asset class, which is what's so painful for me because I want you in because it's such a great wealth builder. Second and more important, when money managers see this kind of action, they tend to throw up their hands and step aside for a bit because they hate it when stocks can't be judged on the fundamentals, even if it's stocks that they don't really care about. In other words, these meme stock spikes make the hedge fund guys feel like the inmates are running the asylum. So they decide to take some profits and maybe go on vacation for a week. They don't want to know that HODL, H-O-D-L, means hold on for dear life. They just want to sell, 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 sell. Here's the bottom line. Next time you see one of these meme stocks roaring, I want you to ring the register because look at this. Look at this red. They are too, it's too coincidental not to be coincident. At this point, the Nasdaq's already down more than 6% from its highs last week. So in some ways, it's too late to sell, even as I expect more pain. Better to just buy as we get closer to down 12%, where the pain has tended to stop. And remember, the froth is dying soon after the bubble gets burst, even if it is a bed, bath, and beyond bubble. Tyler in California. Tyler. Big Booyah from California. How you doing, Jim? I am doing well. I'm trying to get the week going. People are too awesome. slow. I see too much. I see too many people. Wake up, people. Wake up. All right. All right. Hey, Jim. So I was thinking from a historical uh, point of view, whether we're in a bull market or a bear market or waiting for the Fed to make a decision to be hawkish or dovish, or whether it's a recession or depression or a, a heat freeze, what are your thoughts on Coca-Cola, ticker KO? Oh, man, I'm proof? so glad you brought it up because I did a study of stocks to buy after the 2000-2001 meltdown, and the number one stock I told people to buy was Coca-Cola. I didn't even have a show back then. But I said KO was right, and KO remains right. Today's action, it should not come as a surprise to you. Whenever we get a huge 
short squeeze in meme stocks, it's almost always bad news for the rest of the market. Keep this pattern in mind the next time you see these meme stocks soaring. Maybe it's not so great for the stock market. Much more made money ahead. Putting my exclusive with Palo Alto Networks. Wow, I'm running through that report. It's good again. What did I tell you today? Then sometimes the research on Wall Street is not meant for the average investor. It's not meant for you. So how should you interpret some of the sell-side reports? I'll give you my playbook. And all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Well, most tech stocks have spent the last couple of months roaring back from their lows. Some of the cybersecurity games, well, they've just been middling, in part because they held up much better during the big decline earlier this year. But now it might be time for them to play catch-up and pass. Take Kramer Fave Palo Alto Networks, PNW. That's a one-stop shop for corporate cybersecurity that's been trading sideways lately. It's unusual for this company. Three months ago, Palo Alto reported a great quarter, and today, after the close, they did it again! The company delivered an 11-cent earnings beat off a $2.28 basis, but basically inline sales. More importantly, they gave you an, an incredibly strong full-year forecast. No wonder the stock exploded higher in after-hours trading. It was completely deserving. Plus, it didn't hurt, by the way, that Palo Alto added $950 million to its buyback uh, authorization and announced eight. This, I know a lot of you are going to like this, a three-for-one stock split. The kind of thing it tends to entice new investors. I wish more companies with triple-digit prices would do this because people want in. And the stock price is keeping them out. But don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Kramer Fave Nokesh Aurora, the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Learn more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Aurora, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you for having me back. Okay, so Nikesh, I know that it's a big deal, gap positive, but there's a number that is so extraordinary that I want to start with it. I was looking for a free cash flow number that was literally almost a billion dollars less than you, almost a billion. What did you do to make it so you blew away the free cash flow number? You know what, Jim? I know you like the free cash flow number. Uh, Free cash flow is easy. It's all driven by our ability to bill and book business. And we grew our billings 44%. This quarter, we booked and billed in one quarter what we did in the entire first year I was here. So just the fact that we're able to make our business so much larger allows us to start creating scale in enterprise cybersecurity. And this is something you and I have talked about for a long time. I think we are getting to a point where we are the scale player in cybersecurity, and that breeds momentum for us and our teams to go forward and really help our customers. Well, you did have a a slide in your deck, which was amazing. Four years ago, basically, you were a next-gen firewall company with green shoes across border cybersecurity. Let me ask you, if you had just stayed a next-gen firewall company, what would have happened to Palo Alto? You know, one of the challenges, uh, Jim, as you know, is in Silicon Valley, in technology, I learned this from Larry Page when I was at Google, and he talked to all his peers at that point in time. The most important thing in technology is product. If you don't have a good product, it doesn't matter. Over time, your company will decay. And what we did four years ago is we bought tremendous product focused to this company. We figured out where the puck was going. We knew the cloud was going to be big. And cloud was like our plastics moment. So if the cloud is big, what is going to happen? How is it going to change cybersecurity? And we put our hearts and souls, and diligently chase that dream of making sure we were the winner in cloud security and anything that was going to happen 
because of the cloud. That's where we got into SASE, we got into cloud security, and we figured out if cloud is in, AI machine learning would be cheaper to do and smarter to do, so we built a whole platform which we launched a few months ago around AI machine learning. So really, taking the page out of the legends of Silicon Valley and trying to apply it to the cybersecurity company. Well, you mentioned something in that, 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 that soliloquy, which I love. You got SASE, and the Prisma SASE winning in new customers is just extraordinary even as it wasn't really important, what, two, three years ago for you? Well, two, three years ago, we didn't have a SASE right. business because we're too complacent, too happy in our firewall space, figured that's how the world would operate. But you know, as soon as we had the cloud insight, we went ahead and put our entire security stack in the public cloud. We actually modernized our entire infrastructure and were able to leapfrog the current best in the market. So now it's a two horse race. You know what? We were not in the market three years ago. We were winning a few, we were winning a few last year. We want to be head-to-head -head and win at least half the business, which should make it that, that itself is a $20 billion business. Now, the mindset seems to have changed. I, I read an interview this weekend from uh, someone who runs the uh, Norwegian Sovereign Fund, which is the largest. And what he basically said was, look, it, there's cybersecurity, and then there's just everything else. And it was done in the context of a war in Ukraine. And this man who runs trillions just said, look, we are all way too complacent. Do you still see complacency after all this? Look, Jim, it's hard to get rid of 10 years or 15 years of bad habits, right? We have about 10 years of deployed infrastructure out there in technology in the world. Even if you may wave a magic wand, we're not going to fix it in one year or six months. It takes 10 years of good behavior to fix 10 years of bad behavior in our business. It's probably going to take longer. So I think we're going to be in a 15 to 20 year secular cycle where cybersecurity continues to be more and more important. Just like you, I was reading yesterday, you know, one of the large cloud providers suffered its biggest DDoS attacks where you get like almost like, you know, 35 million requests per second. So you can see there's activity which can be done from remote parts of the world. You don't actually have to go physically endanger yourself to engage in any kind of warfare. Cybercrime is unfortunately what's going to happen in the future and for that, Everyone has to be prepared. Nation states have to be prepared. Critical infrastructure has to be prepared. Enterprises have to be prepared. Small businesses and even you and me. Well, what I don't understand is, look, we just had a great bill, I thought, because I worried about climate change. We have infrastructure and we're helping semiconductors in Ohio. I do not see anything that adds to law enforcement or, sits, or someone who sits down with you to say, look, it's overwhelming. What can we do? Are they doing it? Is the government, does the government aware? I think the government is aware. In fact, you can see there's a lot of positive activity coming out of the U.S. government and many governments around the world. I do think the response from companies is somewhat spottier compared to governments. Governments know this. They see it. They see it on a comprehensive level. So they're very aware of it. Now, it takes them also time to get stuff sorted. And in some cases, they're not able to influence corporations or various parts of you know, critical infrastructure. But awareness is there for sure in the government. I think awareness needs to come to the corporate boardrooms. And I think the SEC is looking at some, some ideas in terms of how do you make this a more relevant and more important topic, just like Finances and audit, security needs to be an top, important topic because I believe it is the biggest risk for business continuity in the 21st century. Yeah, I am absolutely convinced, and I think we don't even know how much happens that no one shows us, and they bury, and it doesn't make the financial forms. Nikesh Aurora, Chairman CEO of Palo Alto Networks, with a true blowout. And the stock, if it's kept down by the stock market, then the market is wrong. Bad money's back here from the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. 
It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skiing down to the lightning round. I'm going to start with. How about Joe in Missouri? Joe! Uh, hi, Jim. It's actually John, but that's all right. Uh, John, BER my bad. is awaiting emergency use authorization from the FDA for the treatment of hospitalized COVID patients. 55% of VRU's stock is owned by institutions. 35% is, percent is shorted. Right. Right. Assuming they uh, get the approval in sales, do you think VRU will enjoy the same share price increase as Moderna? And in- no, I think VRU also needs to have that expand needs the breast cancer, too. Uh, now, VRU, just for full disclosure, is a company that was, uh, the science was uh, come from my urologist, uh, Dr. Harry Fish. I always like to disclose that. And I'm a big believer in Dr. Fish and the work he does. That's important. I'm going to leave it at that. Let's go to now Joe in Florida. Joe! Coach Kramer. Booyah! From uh, a member of Steeler Nation. Uh, okay. Who's your quarterback? You got a quarterback? Yeah, no, not yet. Okay. We're getting closer. Uh, all right. Hey, you got a great coach. You got a great coach. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Love the CNBC Investing Club. Listen to it every oh, day. Oh, thank 20. you. Thank you so much. We got so much more we're going to throw at you. I appreciate it. We got a lot more people joining. I love it. How can I help? My question's on the EV space. With more EVs entering the worldwide market, the demand for charging stations will continue to rise. Is charge point, charge point the horse to ride? It's, 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 long- it's the best one of a bad neighborhood, though. See, Joe, here's the problem. They're losing you know, Charge Point's not making money, and we can't recommend stocks that are not making money in this environment. It's too hard. Joseph in Georgia. Joseph. Hey, Kramer. Tell me about Jackson Financial, one of the largest providers of annuities. With an aging population and rising interest rates, the annuity market should be strong. Companies buying stocks, insiders are buying, paying a dividend. Uh, I, you know, I like that call. I like that call. Nice yield, annuities, good business. I like Link, too, but that's more of a stadium feature. Let's go one more. No, yo, that's it. That, ladies and gentlemen, that's the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, should big money reports be the sharpest arrow in your research quiver? Kramer is always out to help the home gamer. Draw back your bow on Mad Money next. Whenever you hear anyone talking about stocks, you need to remember that a lot of what's said on Wall Street is simply not meant for you, the regular investor. It's meant for hedge funds that are addicted to trading. They need to constantly generate performance in order to keep their clients happy. For example, this morning, Evercore, a very good research firm, downgraded. Sell, sell, sell. 
United Parcel, in part because it's outperformed its benchmark by 850 basis points of late. I was troubled by this call, so I don't think that kind of outperformance is a reason to sell, at least not by itself. Of course, Evercore also talked about how business is likely to slow down here, which is a much better reason to sell. But that's a short-term trading call, people. Let's talk about long-term investing. That's what we care about on Mad Money. UPS has been bouncing between 175 and 220 for most of the year. It's currently near the middle of that range. The stock's got a 2.95% dividend yield. It's run by the capable Carol Tomei. If I were back at my old hedge fund turret and I owned at UPS, I would absolutely sell, 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 on that sell, call. sell, 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 sell. For a hedge fund that needs to worry about quarterly performance, of course, making a smart call. If you're a nimble money manager, you can likely sell the stock here and easily get back in at a lower price. But, but it's another story if you're a home gamer. If you actually work for a living and can't trade stocks constantly, I think it's a very bad call. First, you'd incur taxes when you ring the register, something you generally want to avoid. Second, UPS has a high yield that would cushion any potential downside. And you want that income anyway. Third, I'd be afraid the stock could rebound after a short shot pullback, and you might never be able to get back in if that happens. So what kind of calls are for you? I think the big strategist calls can be important. Dave Costa, one of my faves of Goldman, wrote a piece today about how many people, too many people, are jumping the gun and are making a false pivot as though the Fed's almost done tightening. I thought that was rigorous, excellent work. We had two pieces of terrific research from Morgan Stanley, one about how PepsiCo and two about how Constellation Brands are quality defensive names at a time when it does pay to be defensive. We own Constellation, America, Modelo, Corona, and Pacifico for the Chapel Trust. And we've got PepsiCo in the bullpen. It was, I was salivating later in the end of the day. I also loved all the pieces that raised price targets for John Deere, as I mentioned at the top of the show, emphasizing how the company could be looking at multiple years of success. The world needs more food. Deere's machinery lets you grow up with fewer people. Also helps on infrastructure. I like these kinds of pieces because they're definitively not hedge fund calls. There's no near-term catalyst, no hurry. You can use this decline in the market to build positions as long as you recognize that the Fed isn't finished hitting the brakes in the economy, which means you need to be more defensive going forward. Ultimately, there's nothing wrong with using these sell-side research reports, but you have to be able to distinguish between the trading calls for hedge funds and the longer-term calls that work for everyone. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.